Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Stephen Roman, who's the CEO of Global Atomic. They're a TSX-listed junior uranium developer. They've got an asset in Niger, it's called DASA, and they've got a secondary revenue stream from a JV zinc operation in Turkey. That seems to be largely unaffected, although the zinc drop in zinc price recently has meant that the repayment timeline of 12 months is probably extended out to near 24 months. We talked to Stephen about the PEA implications of doing a phase one, phase two development program. Phase one will allow them to get into this uranium cycle, which is something that Stephen's excited about. And he tells us the importance of why he thinks that's going to change the fortunes of the company. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm not bad. Locked up at home. I'm I'm in uh, I'm in snowy Toronto. We just had a blizzard here this morning. I understand the weather's a little better in, in You're London. You're kidding? No, it's sunny. It's all <laughs> sunny here. It's 20 degrees. Which yeah. uh, I mean, I don't want to talk to an Australian right now. They've been telling me it's 35 degrees. You know, no one no one needs to have that conversation. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so you hold up safely at home, um, keeping busy. Um, you've got a press release out today about your PEA, and I do want to talk to you about that in a minute. But first, I need to get your take on what is going on in the marketplace. The last two, three weeks have been a bit crazy. You've had uh, Cigar Lake shutting shutting out for a little while. You've got the, uh, the Kazakhs doing the same thing for potentially three months. You've got Rossing shutting down, you've got HUSAB production affected, Australians still, still seem to be marching on. What's your take on all of this? It's a strange world out there, Matthew, with this uh, virus floating around. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of these mines uh, like uh, Rossing, uh, low grade, high cost, um, Cigar Lake, uh, similarly. I mean, all of these mines, I guess, because of COVID now have shut down. That's taken a, a huge uh, chunk out of the uranium supply chain. Uh, I would, you know, if I was a utility, I think I'd be getting nervous about now on, you know, where they're going to start getting supplies because their their long-term contracts are coming due in the next year or two, and they've got to be out there looking at uh, who can fulfill the next 10-year supply uh, stream for them. Um, you know, it's obviously moved the uranium price up uh, quite significantly here over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, some of these mines are going to take a bit of time to restart. So, you know, I, I think the uranium uh, uh, side is getting the, a bit of a boost here and, and hopefully it's uh, not short lived. I think uh, we'd like to see it moving ahead, you know, to where it should be. Well, I. You've got a part of the audience are saying this is the white swan, this is the catalyst for change. Uh, you can't remove that amount of pounds out of the marketplace without it obviously affecting the um, the, the supply, the, the demand side. Um, you've obviously been there, done it before. You you built uranium mine, got into production. You know you know you know what it's about. I'm intrigued as to what you think the utility guys are actually thinking right now because the other thing going on in the background is obviously this you know the gas prices are are being affected by the 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 war with russia 
uh, well, the, war, the, the, the war between Russia and the, and the Saudis with regards to pricing and output. Are you are you having conversations with any utility guys at the moment? Have you got? A, can you give us a sense of how they're going to be judging this situation? You know what? Uh, the last uh, interaction I had with a number of utilities was uh, at, a, at a uranium conference in Nashville in the fall, and this is obviously before COVID. Uh, and the general consensus at the Nashville conference was that they have to start getting back into the market. Uh, so that's a very positive sign to me that uh, they are definitely thinking about it. And I think with all these closures, now that's going to push them over the edge that they're going to have to start scrambling to find supply. So, um, you know, uh, I think it's good for the whole sector. Do you think, so do you, therefore, do you think price is, we've, we've had a bit of, you know, we were at, so two weeks ago, we are at 27 bucks, we're at just over 30, nearly, you well, know, 31. Well, you know, I What's think uh, Cameco and Kazatomprom, uh, the two big players, uh, they would probably like to keep the price, uh, you know, below $40 a pound to keep uh, many others from getting into the market. Um, so, you know, I think if it moves into the 35 to $40 range, you're going to see a bit more supply coming in, uh, but probably not before that. Well, let's, I do want to talk about your PEA because there's some quite attractive numbers in there, which you must be pleased about, but we'll talk about it in a second. It, to that point, how does supply come into the market? If you've got a bunch of young pretenders, as it were, you know, juniors who have got an asset not not necessarily a great asset, but and not necessarily the cash to be able to do too much about it. But it is uranium, so you know people are getting excited about what that could mean. Do you think that all these all uranium juniors currently in the marketplace are going to survive because of, of this price recovery, which people are expecting, or do you think that it's going to move in small increments, i.e., the lowest cost producers who can create a margin for themselves? whilst the price recovers are going to be able to step up to the plate first and and what indeed does that mean for the people who need 50 60 70 bucks uh that's quite a question it's a long one right <laughs> uh you know are there going to be winners and losers is what i'm asking there there there's some there's some tremendous uranium projects in in the athabasca basin they, they have an issue with permitting timelines and capex. So I don't know how much money would be available to build a project that potentially is not gonna be permitted for 10 years. So, you know, I think what, what people have to look at right now is who can actually come into production in the next two to three years that could actually start supplying the utilities when their contracts run out in two years. The, the big high-grade projects won't be there. Uh, there's some smaller producers, some in-situ leaching in the United States. You know, that's a, a million pounds, two million pounds a year. It's, it's small scale. Um, so, you know, I think uh, aside from Cameco turning on production at 35 to $40 a pound and Kazatomprom doing the same thing, the, the, the new projects, there's going to be very few that actually make it in this cycle. 
Okay, so in this cycle. See, what, is, what intrigues me and what, you know, we talk a lot, right? What intrigues me about you guys, and I think from what I read, people appreciate your business model. The business model being you've also got a zinc revenue stream component with your Turkish JV, uh, Befeza. Now, that's going to help because it means you're not going to dilute shareholders continually. There's an on, 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 ongoing stream, income stream there. Now, you've... You have made a couple of uh, statements recently with regards to that because obviously zinc price has been hit a little bit. Uh, so you're you're putting out the timeline there somewhat. Can you just tell us about what's going on in Turkey first of all? Is it are they still working? Are they still able to operate? Yeah, good question. Uh, Turkey is still working. Of course, the government uh, has imposed some protocols uh, that everyone is following. Um, and, uh, you know, where we are in Iskenderun, uh, it seems to be uh, virus-free at this point in time, but we are using, uh, you know, very specific protocols to uh, keep people away from each other. The plant, of course, is brand new, so it was just commissioned in Q4 uh, last year, 2019. So, you know, it's, it's a highly automated plant, so you actually don't need a lot of people there and uh you know so it's it's still running at capacity currently okay so you, but in terms of the statements you've made you said like there was a sort of 12 month payback period but obviously zinc prices right. have been you know a little bit lower than than they have been yeah. that's going to take a little bit no, longer no, can you give us an idea of the timeline there yeah so uh when we when we started the plant the zinc price was between a dollar and a dollar ten as a result of the current market conditions, it went down to 85 cents a pound. So what we're telling people now, rather than a, a one-year payback of our capital there, we're, we're, we're talking about two years at this point. Right. So, uh, you know, the dividend stream coming from there, we get uh, monthly management fees and sales commissions that effectively cover a lot of our GNA mm -hmm. in the company. But the big dividends that are typically awarded once a year after the AGM, uh, they, they would start later than we expected. But that is quite a long annuity stream of cash for you. Well, I mean, they, they, the, plant, the plant will be running for the next 50 years, I would suspect. It's a brand new plant, so. I'll put that down and say yes, yeah. Okay, right. So, okay, so that that's the sort of interesting part of the business model. But let's come to maybe your PEA because I think it'll allow me to understand better where you're positioning yourself in the market. Because you, you, there's some clues there. You're talking about getting in earlier into the cycle than some. So, why don't you give give us the big numbers on the on the PEA? Tell us tell us what you you announced this morning. Well, this morning we announced uh, a, a phase one mining project uh, at our, our flagship DASA project in, in Niger. Uh, this is a, a 250 million pound deposit. And uh, over 2019, we did a lot of trade-off studies on how it should be mined. Uh, open pit, uh, underground combination, startup uh, underground, then open pit or vice versa. At any rate, what, we, what we've uh, been able to achieve here and with money actually that was provided from our Turkish operation, we did a big round of drilling and we defined an area we call the flank zone, which uh, is a high grade uh, section of the deposit that comes close to surface 
And so what we've laid out here in this, in this PEA is a, a ramp access underground mine uh, that is uh, basically mining uh, about 5,300 or half a percent uranium. And if you notice in the press release uh, that the majority of the pounds, there are about 30 million pounds of the 48 million pounds we'll be mining out of this flank zone is uh, running at over 1% uranium. Right. So the average grade is about 5,300 ppm, which, uh, you know, for an African uranium project uh, is outstanding. It puts us more in the Athabasca style deposit at you know one percent plus there for most of it and it obviously then uh, doesn't require a lot of tons to make a lot of pounds um, so we we've uh, engineered a thousand ton a day operation uh, that's going to produce about 4.4 million pounds a year of uh, yellow cake mm. at an all-in sustaining cost of course uh, below twenty dollars a pound our cash costs are about $16 a pound. I mean, that, that's the remarkable number there, being able to produce at less than 20 bucks. I know you have said it before, but I'm not sure the market believed it. And you now you're saying that that is achievable. And I mean, the other thing that stands out is the, of the I mean, we knew this was a big resource. You know, the, the available pounds here in terms of, I presume, phase two uh, it is huge. Right. but. This project on its own at 35 bucks is showing, you're indicating here, what, 20, 26% IRR at 35 bucks? Yeah, that's uh, after tax. So, yeah, that's a nice number. You, got, you must be happy. We expecting oh, this? Oh, that's great. We expecting it? <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> I think when we, uh, when we started working on the model of the flank zone as, a, as an underground high-grade operation, the numbers started coming in because the uh, the resource there is is so good, and it leads you into the lower sections of the deposit where there is also a lot of good uh, high grade material. But of course, it needs to have more drilling, which you would do during your mining process. As it says in the press release, we'll use this phase one to actually produce uranium quickly, but also to develop the rest of the deposit. Okay, and the thing that interests me is, again, the business model. Like some people who say, "Well, do, you know, do it all in one go because it's a much bigger resource, and you know, therefore, it's going to be much more attractive to big players, etc." So, why are you doing it this way? Why get into production early? It, it, I assume is to hit this cycle. What the, what you were saying five minutes ago. Well, Matthew, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're a mining company. Uh, we, we like building mines. Uh, I think with uranium, you, you, you know, and obviously you can mine this at a much larger scale. It's going to take more capex. Like we came out with our 2018 PEA that showed, uh, you know, 300 million capex doing twice as much production uh, on a much larger scale. But you know, the grade was lower, the capex was higher, and for a junior mining company, uh, it was just too much. The other thing to consider in the uranium business is you don't want to come out there with a, an 8 to 10 million pound a year project, because where are you going to sell it? So what we want to do, and we think the sweet spot is, you know, between 4 and 5 million pounds is just exactly where we came in. 
it's it's a it's a, a marketable amount of uranium. You know, uh, two or three utilities could take that up every year, and uh, you don't have a huge issue moving your product. Okay, because I'm looking at you know, four to five million pounds a year compared to like the U.S. producers, and I've spoken to both of them. They're talking about a one to two million. So you are a meaningful, could be a meaningful producer within a short time frame to fit into a cycle where you think utilities are going to be needing to, you know, definitely going to be needing to fill up their inventory levels because where else is it going to come from? So I'm just, I'm just, I just wanted to know, you know, how do you come, you know, have you, have you had conversations with utilities? Do you know that this plan works better than getting out there and you know you know producing a much bigger project, which may be more attractive to Chinese you know Chinese investors, for instance? Because we've heard all models here. So why why you know well, just, what was the data that you had to say? Now let's go small, let's do it now, and let's hit this cycle and you know be. I guess what you're trying to say is we'll at least be in control. That's right. It's we. It, this is something that we can do with our capability and our financial horsepower. Uh, if we're talking about projects that are into the hundreds of millions, uh, you know, it's it's something that, that we would not be able to do. So I think uh, just like many mines in, in days of old, uh, would start with a smaller scale operation and, and grow the business out of cash flow, uh, we can do the same thing. I mean, there's nothing stopping us from producing more if the demand is there okay but let me let me talk to you before we get get too excited because it's quite easy in the current climate to get excited about uranium you know the the the, the, the two yellow commodities are getting quite exciting at the moment so uh, that's right you have to excuse me um but you've you've done a pa it's just a pea right it's not a pfs well actually uh We've done the PEA to a PFS level. Okay. So this <clears throat> this will form the core of our technical uh, material that's going to be submitted to the government for uh, our mining permit. So what we're planning on doing now is uh, we're finishing our hydrogeological work around the mine uh, as well as uh, our environmental impact statement. These are necessary to achieve our mining permit. So uh, really the, the final bits, which would be some more geotechnical drilling uh, and final engineering, uh, we can do that subsequent to getting our mining permit. So the idea is to submit all of this material now as a final technical report to the government uh, by the summer, by June, July, uh, with our application for a mining permit. And what does that allow you to do? Because I am going to ask you in a second about money, because you're going to need to raise money at some point. But what does having the mining permit allow you to do? Why, why are you focused on that? Well, I think it's a huge catalyst for our operation, because once you have your mining permit, you're unrestricted. So uh, you can uh, raise money and, uh, you know, there will be much more interest from utilities, potentially offtake agreements. Uh, you know, and uh, and various other financial instruments that we could use with the uh, Turkish operation. 
we could even have a sort of a, a bond issue that, uh, you know, pays a coupon uh, that's supported, for instance, by our Turkish cash flow. So we want to keep dilution to a minimum. Uh, we probably will raise a little bit of money, but timing wise for me, the best time to do that would be subsequent to achieving our mining permit. Right. Okay. Okay. And how much are we talking about here? Oh, between five and 10 million okay. Canadian dollars. Okay. Yeah, it's not a it's not a huge amount. No. And you know, if uranium price continues to move and the share prices move up, uh, people has finally recognized this project because you know, funny enough, a lot of people have not heard about Global Atomic, and I see uh, uranium publications coming out. I just got one this morning, talking about every company and Global Atomic's not there. Like, why aren't people seeing this project? To me, uh, you know, we just have to to pound the pavement a little bit and get people aware of it because it, it is very significant. I mean, we signed a deal with Arano Mining, the French government, in July of uh, 2017. And the reason they did that is because they want to have an assured supply uh, and uh, augment their feed source for their Somer operation north of us. Uh, they did extensive due diligence on this project and we weren't as far ahead as we are now. So, you know, this I think is, is a very significant project uh, in the uranium space, but particularly in Niger, where they derive most of their revenue stream from uranium. And they view this project as like the next phase for development in the country. Okay, so just, just if I may finish off is, um, can you give me that timeline when you talked about getting in uh, into production this cycle, but what are you aiming for? Because, okay, you've done a PEA to PFS standard, but you've still got to get a PFS. You've got to do your feasibility. You've got to do the numbers on the DFS. What's that timeline look like? Uh, that should be finished during 2021. So that, you know, I mean, uh, it would be nice to actually start moving dirt uh, towards the end of 21 or early 22. Okay. And by moving dirt, you literally mean because it's because you're going underground here you're moving dirt transporting it up the road for processing is that what's happening well actually what 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 i'm meaning is that you would start prepping the site and uh, developing your portal uh you know moving a camp in there to actually start uh, start developing the whole infrastructure so okay we're right on the power grid uh we've got uh, proposals in from from solar hybrid suppliers that'll sell us power under a power purchase agreement to keep our power costs low. Uh, but, you know, uh, Arano gets their power from a, a coal-fired plant down the road, which is, happens to be right, you know, in line with us. Okay, so, th so the question is, when do you think you start taking U308 and selling it? When, when are you producing? Oh, I would I would say, uh, you know, if all goes well and COVID doesn't keep everybody shut down for the next year, that by 2022, we'd be selling uranium. Fantastic. You might, so, okay. So things going great guns. Uh, you, you, you're out there pounding the streets, telling the story. Um, what's the feedback been so far? Well, aside from people being quite amazed by the project and the numbers coming out of it, uh, you know, it's a lot of people... Uh, need to learn about it. So this has sort of woken up a few people. 
Yeah, I think so. Well, it's exciting times. It's exciting times, Stephen. Um, I think a lot of the generalists seem to be waking up to uranium again, which is fantastic uh, news. Um, they'll need educating because again, it's you know it's been quite a it's, been, it's taken us a long time to learn learn about the ins and outs of it. It's quite an opaque market, um, but I think it's nice to sort of see them at least asking the questions again. Well, look, best of luck to you. Um, thanks very much for giving us an update on, on the PEA um, and, the, and the announcement. Um, you know, stay in touch and let us know how things are progressing. We will definitely stay in touch and uh, you'll be getting our news as it's coming out. Good man, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.